Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's praise the Lord. What a joy to be in the house of God. I want to bring greetings in Jesus' mighty name. And it's a joy to see all of you and worship together with all of you once again in the house of God. Yes, I know uh, you all have been missing us. We miss you all too. Pastor Hannah constantly reminds me of how she misses this place. And um, I constantly remind her about the assignments of God, wherever God sends us. We love you. We miss you guys. But we are grateful to God for every opportunity God gets us to, you know, be with us, be with, be with the whole church here in Trivandrum. also want to thank God for all that God is doing I want you all to know the church this coming week on the 1st of October Sunday. In fact, we are completing one year since we planted the church there in Dubai. And uh, by the grace of God, God has taken us through this year. And uh, the Lord is, the, the church is growing. You know, God has added to the church. We're about 100 people now that are gathering there week after week, uh, you know, uh, on different uh, in, and worshiping together. So many lives have been touched actually over the last year, just listening to some of the testimonies. Uh, it's an amazing assignment. It's a very different scene over there. But we are grateful to God for what God is doing. So if you know people that are unchurched and uh, really want to be part of a church there in Dubai, you know, you know, just speak to one of the pastors and get them connected. Uh, we'll be happy to see how we can help them grow in the Lord. Amen. You ready for God's word? Yes. Amen. I want you to turn your Bibles to Second Timothy and chapter 2. And verse 15, and we're going to start this very important topic that I have on my heart. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. So, the Bible says in Second Timothy 2.15, come on, let's read it together, let's go. Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed. How? Accurately handling the word of God. This is a call of God on all our lives. The Lord is saying, you must work diligently to be a good student of God's word. And it's not just for the pastors. It's for every believer. God is calling every one of us to work diligently to be a good student of God's word so that we don't have to be ashamed accurately handling the word of God. Yes, this was addressed to the apostle Timothy, but also goes for every believer. Because, listen to me carefully. How many of you read your Bible? Alright? The moment we read our Bible, we are interpreting the Bible. Alright? You cannot read the Bible and not be interpreting it. Whether you're interpreting it right or you're interpreting wrong, if you read it, you have just interpreted what it means. It means something to you. And someone else who's reading it, it may mean something else to that person. I want you to know that God wants us to be good people accurately handling the word of God. The word of God is supreme. In fact, Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 3 says like this, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of nature, upholding all things by the word of his power. Everything in the heavens and the earth are upheld by the word of God. The word of God is final. The word of God is supreme. We may have many laws and commandments passed here on earth by people in the nations and governments and all of that. But one day we will all stand before the great white throne judgment of God. On that day, His word will be final. Amen. The word of God is supreme. 
In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, that there is power, there is life in the word of God. Because the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So the word of God is supreme. The word of God is not dead, it is alive. Hallelujah. The word of God is alive. And we, and piercing through the soul and the spirit, both the joint and the marrow, being able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Which means, when we read the word of God, the word of God has an ability to judge the motives of our heart, the intentions of our heart, what we're thinking, how we're thinking, all of that. The word is supreme, the word is alive, but not only that, the word of God has to be our leader. It has to lead us. Many people say, I know the word says that, but you've got to be practical in today's world. I want you to know, practical in today's world that is against the word of God is just being rebellious according to God's kingdom. A great place to say amen. Because the Bible says, he who trembles before God's word. It's the one God's going to bless. There is an anointing that comes upon us when we uphold his word. When we honor his word just like it is upheld and honored in heaven. Hallelujah. There is a power of God's word because his word is supposed to lead us. Acts 20 verse 32 says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The apostle Paul was telling the Ephesian elders, I want to commend you to the word of your grace, which is able to build you up. Listen to me, human fancy theology cannot build you up. His undiluted, unashamed preaching of the word and receiving of that word is actually what is able to build you up. Amen. Everything else will keep you happy, but will destroy you in the light of eternity. This word is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are being sanctified. Which means the word of God is that which is going to get you your inheritance. Hallelujah. Not simply by faith, believing Jesus died on the cross. Therefore every inheritance is mine. Responding to that word, standing on that word is very, very important. Because Jesus is the word. Say that after me. Jesus is the word. Now the same Jesus is the word that we see over here. On one side is the gentle, loving Savior, our Father in heaven. And on the other side is the same Jesus whom Hebrews calls the consuming fire. Hallelujah. One side he's a loving father. On the other side he is a judge that is coming to, you know, judge the living and the dead. The word of God became flesh. Hebrews and chapter, John and chapter 1 verse 14 says, This word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this is why, because the word of God is so important. It is very important for every one of us to be very faithful to interpreting the word of God. In our own lives. Everybody, the moment you read the Bible, you're already interpreting the word. Amen? The moment you read the Bible, you're already interpreting the word. Now, you don't interpret the word only when you're doing a Bible study. Every time you open the Bible and you're reading it, you're interpreting what it's saying. It means something to you. You can choose to misinterpret it because of some reason, some fear, some personal agenda. For example, when the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked in marriage to someone who does not have Jesus as a savior. Or you can get troubled by that word and you can say, well, uh, I know that is there, but let me see if there is somewhere else that says something so that, you know, I can be married to the one that I have fallen emotionally in love with. It's important to interpret the word of God. Second Timothy chapter 2.15 says, be diligent to present yourself as a good worker. 
But the problem is the word of God is often interpreted by fallible people like you and me. An infallible word interpreted by fallible people. Just like, now I'm not good at math in terms of what kind of math. You talk about, what is that? Algebra, right? Algebra. If you ask me to teach you algebra, when I, or whatever, when I see A plus B, the whole squared is equal to A plus B, uh, uh, A squared plus B squared plus 2AB, alright? When you ask me to teach you that, I'm going to teach you A is for apple, B is for ball. Alright? Because I don't understand mathematical A and B. You see, what happens is, when we get the fundamentals wrong, there's no way we can understand the complexities. When you get the fundamentals of interpreting the word wrong, you will misinterpret the complexities. Hallelujah. It's so important for us to love God's word. Look at somebody and say, we need to love God's word. Tell them, we have to be faithful to God's word. Amen. Now let me tell you why. See, in theology, there are three different levels of theology I've found. The first level of theology I find is a level I call foundational theology. Where everybody agrees, Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no debate about it. There is no other name in heaven and earth by which a man shall be saved except the name of Jesus. There's no debate about it. That is a fundamental level, a foundational level. Everybody agrees. Secondly, the second level of theology is a level what I call the perception level. What is the perception level? When one person looks at it from this side, he feels it's like this. And another person looks at it from this side, he feels it like this. You know, married people, husband and wife, husband looks at it one way, wife looks at it another way. If you often ask them, neither are wrong. They're just looking at it from a different angle. Both are valuable. One is based probably on a little more logic. The other one is based a little more on feeling. But which is right? I think both are right. Both have their place. But... Because of those perspectives, today Christians have built denominations around it. One has built a denomination around, there is no gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we will call ourselves so and so. Another has built a denomination around, oh you shall be, uh, you, know, you will speak in tongues. Or, uh, and you, and that they build a denomination around. Everything is fine, but we need to know, one day we are going to give an account for how we interpret scripture. Now some of you say, well I am not a leader in the church, but doesn't matter. How you interpret scripture will demonstrate how you will live your everyday life. And that's why it's very important for every Christian to interpret scripture. And if you don't know how to interpret scripture, you have to learn. Because God wants us to be faithful to scripture. Say that loud. Faithful to scripture. Now the question is, how can I be faithful when one person looks at it like this and says, it's this is how it is. For example, one person might look at one side and say, once you're saved, you're always saved. The elect of God shall be saved. Another person looks at it from this side and says, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, you know what? We've got to preach the gospel to everybody. And everybody who receives Jesus Christ as their Savior will be saved. Wait a minute. Are the elect selected by God going to be saved? Or is everybody who responds to the gospel going to be saved? How do I know which one is important? At least you need to desire to know. Alright? So the second level is called a perception level. Uh, should we do this, should we not? Different people look at it differently and denominations are belong. Third level of theology or call is called unknown, is the unknown level. Where we don't know what it means. For why else are people baptized for the dead? What does that scripture mean? I don't know. You know, you, there are theologians who will look into some things and explain this and that, but there's an unknown level. It's okay to have some things which we do not know, but let us learn to pursue the things that God has revealed to us. Amen. So, so when we need, what do we need to do with the word of God? We need to every day read the word. 
We have to study the word of God. Amen. So be a good student of God's word. Some people, you know, some of the, the you know, I heard Smith Wigglesworth said once like this. He said, uh, the, the word of God is not a cake for occasions. It's a bread for daily eating. Hallelujah. Some people are eating like word of God, uh, like occasions. One seminar you went and special meeting and the preacher preached while you said, what a preacher. Instead of saying, what a word that transformed my life, what a preacher. For crying out loud, every single day, the word is bread, not a cake. Hallelujah. So we got to read the word, study the word. We got to meditate on the word of God. What is meditating? Thinking and rethinking and rethinking and rethinking about the word of God. That is meditation. You got to believe the word. You got to confess the word from your mouth. Some people read the word but will not speak it. <laughs> it's a lump in their throat when they see their friends. They cannot identify themselves as a child of God. You have to confess the word of God. And then you've got to be filled with the spirit of God as you study the word. Because we need the Holy Spirit to understand the word of God. We need the Holy Spirit. So what are some of the challenges? Listen to me carefully and you might identify with this. What are some of the challenges we face in understanding the word of God? One of the things we forget is that revelation is progressively understood. Which means, if I did not study in kindergarten, A for apple, B for ball, C for whatever. I guess in in our country, C for cricket. (laughs) Uh, You know, if I didn't study that in kindergarten, I would never be able to put those letters together and read a whole sentence. And if I was not able to read the whole sentence... I would not have been able to understand more complex thoughts because we started somewhere learning the word of God. Amen. And many times believers like this, they stay at a kindergarten level of Bible reading and then some preacher comes and says something or you hear something on YouTube or you hear some, some, you know, some new thing and say, wow, that is so good. I want to be part of that church. I want to go there because, and they come and they say, well, I think what I heard all along was wrong because we have not been good students of God's word. God commands us to love God's word. We shouldn't go after, you know, the other day I saw on YouTube, this was crazy, somewhere in Africa, one of the pastors is telling, you are all my sheep and I am your shepherd and the sheep listen to the shepherd. And then he says, I want all of you to go out to the lawn right now and eat the grass in the lawn. And it's it's on YouTube and you see the people running out from the church to the lawn and they're eating grass. You know why? Because they didn't study the ABC. The fundamental interpretations of God's word. So revelation is progressively understood, which means every day reading the word adds to your better understanding. Once in a while taking it like a cake will leave you vulnerable to be mistaken in your in the journey ahead secondly people why do they why do what are the challenges to understand the word people like the safety of what is known my grandma told me it's like this so since then i knew it's like that they like the safety of what grandma said or or my traditional church which i came from you know we've always done it like this and that's the way we will do it instead of loving the word people like the safety of what is known others like the newness of what is the latest fad in town. Hallelujah. Have you heard about that one thing? Uh, about the, the secret codes in the Bible with which we can know the future. Hey, listen. You, the secret codes in the Bible, you know the future. What you know right now, you obey. 
what, you know, how do we prepare, be prepared for eternity? Doing what you know now. When is Jesus coming? Hey, listen, when Jesus is coming, is not going to affect your life as much as what you're doing with what Jesus already told you right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when he's coming, you won't be prepared anyway. That's why we need to read the Bible and apply the word of God. Some people like the latest, newest sounding ones. The word of God is often understood by people in the light of their experiences. Years ago, I was growing up in a fellowship and I was part of this, this Baptist kind of fellowship uh, where uh, uh, it was a medical fellowship. And so some of the leaders were kind of brother in Baptist. And so they didn't have room for speaking in tongues. I was born again. I just got filled with the spirit. I was so excited. I landed up in the city. I heard there's a medical college fellowship. I went for that. And when I, on day one, I was sitting there praying in tongues because I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. My encounter with the Holy Ghost was very different. And people were watching me and said, what is this that you're... Your mouth is moving, something like that. I said, uh, I'm speaking in tongues. They said, no, Bible forbids speaking in tongues. What is the Bible forbid? You see, the it became into an issue because I would go out in college and some of these people that came for turn to the Lord and they would come to me and say, what are you doing speaking like, very gently under my breath? I'd say, well, that is speaking in tongues. Even we won't. Sure, I'll stand outside the library and lay hands on them, pray for them. Back the Holy Spirit will come on them. On the streets in college, outside the street, they begin to speak in tongues and slowly the number of tongue talkers in the fellowship began to grow. I didn't preach it in the fellowship. I didn't tell anyone about it. I never had the opportunity to, but the number began to grow. Slowly, I became a problem. So they came to me and said, they said, where in the Bible does it say you can pray in tongues? And I was just born again, few months old, was full of passion for God. I said, I don't know. I'm sure it's there somewhere. They said, no, you're preaching your experience. I went back and I searched the word of God. And I began to look into the word to find out what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. And I went back to them and I said, as much as you are telling me that I am preaching my experience and not the word, I want to tell you, you are preaching your lack of experience and not preaching the word. The lack of experience of not being able to pray in the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible says, and these signs shall follow everyone that believe. You will speak in new tongues. Hallelujah. It is a gift to the New Testament church. If you don't know what, how to interpret God's word, you will go after every wind of doctrine that comes your way. The word of God by many is understood according to convenience. If it's helpful to you, if it's advantageous to you, oh, I like that. Oh, oh, do not be unequally married. <laughs> oh, God will prosper you. Yes, I claim it in Jesus' mighty name. I want that, Lord. Oh, I will give one dollar and I will get two. Put two dollars and I'll get four. Oh, I like, you may like that. But that's being irresponsible to God's word. Amen. The Bible says, many for the sake of the gospel, you will give up and, and you will lose everything. Lose land and property and all that for the sake of the gospel. Hold on till the end. Hallelujah. God wants us to walk. If the word of God cannot be used in convenience. I remember years ago, I came to full-time ministry. My parents were divided about what I should do with my life. And because I got kicked, got full-time, my mother was really upset and concerned about my future. She one day... You know, they had gone to church and they heard the priest preaching and the pastor preaching about a, the scripture about children obey your parents. So she came back from church and said, did you hear what was preached today? I said, mom, did you hear that there was only one name in heaven and earth by which a man shall be saved except the name of Jesus has received Christ? They said, no, no, no. Did you hear what was preached today? I said, whoa, what do you want to tell me? The, that preacher said, listen to your parents. 
So you go and study medicine and stop being a preacher of the gospel. So when I'm hearing that my mom saying that, my dad from the other side comes. Did you hear what the preacher said? If the said the, the preacher also said in Proverbs, listen to the commandments of your father, son, go and preach the gospel. So can you see how conveniently we pick scriptures that work good for us? And then when our life becomes a mess, we will say, we went to that church and everything they teach is wrong doctrine. Listen, what is taught can be understood. What is taught can be misunderstood also. And then we can blame the preacher and blame the people and blame all of them and say, because I went there, that's what my life is. People like to understand the word based on their convenience. The word of God is understood many times based on cultural and traditional backgrounds. Where we come from, uh, how, how we understand the word of God based on our culture. The, I'm going to dwell on that today in today's message. So the word of God in many times is interpreted based on our critical mentality. If we've been offended by the church in some way or by somebody, every time we hear the word of God, we'll think, oh, you know, if you've been to a church where they always talked about money, put your money in and sow and God will bless you. The next time you, anywhere you go, you hear anyone talking about the money, last time you put it, you you put one and you got nothing. You put another one, you got nothing. And, And you're wondering what's wrong. The next time you go to another church and you hear the word of God being taught how to be faithful in giving to the Lord's work and in your heart, because you're wounded already, you're saying all these preachers are after money. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the fact is, when we judge the word of God like that, what happens is that we get judged ourselves. Therefore, we, we based on a critical mentality. And the word of God is understood by many in blind faith. Blind faith. God commanded. If you command the mountain to be moved, speak and it will be moved. And you saw a mountain in front of you. You commanded in Jesus name and nothing moved. And because of that you say, all these Pentecostal preachers are liars. I want to have nothing to do with this because what they preached in my life does not work. See the problem is not with the preaching, nor is the, it can be with the preaching. The problem is more than that, it has to do with our faithfulness to the word of God. Look at somebody and say, let's be faithful to the word of God. Come on. So some of us, we follow blind faith. Some, some the word is understood because they follow famous preachers. So don't go after famous preachers. Go after Jesus. Hallelujah. Go after the word of God. Some people, the word of God is understood. We, the, the, the word of God is understood only when we approach it with humility. Trembling before the word and saying, if this is what the word says, this is what I want to do with, with the word of God. So there's so much we need to understand when we begin to study the word of God. We've got to start with a good translation. Learn to think contextually. What is this context saying? You ask, what is the historical precedence? Why? Who was the author? What did the author mean when the author was, you know, writing this? Who, who was the author writing to? Why did he say that? You know, all these different questions. When it comes to the parable, what is the point of the parable? Not the story of the parable. The point of the parable. Don't take the parable literally and try to... You know, so you got to learn to interpret it. When you come to the law in the scriptures, the laws were given for Israel, not for the entire Gentile world. Otherwise, everybody will have to go around circumcising themselves. Come on now, are you listening to me? The laws were for Israel. You look at the prophets, the prophets were there to enforce the law to Israel. 
You look at the Psalms, it was Israel's prayers crying out to God. And you look at Revelations, the images of judgment and the images of hope for the believer. Hallelujah. You've got to understand the essence of it. So for this today, I'm going to touch on three specific titles, which are very important that I'm going to say. Number one, the first title I'm touching on is called Cultural Traditions versus Biblical Commandments. Cultural Traditions Versus biblical or cultural commandments versus biblical commandments. Now listen to me carefully. The word commandment in the Bible is a very clear law. For example, the Bible says in Matthew's gospel in chapter 22 verse 36 to 40. The Bible talks about the great commandments. What are they? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Now to this there is no negotiation. It's a commandment. It's a great commandment. But when we mix up biblical commandments with cultural traditions or commandments or ordinances, it becomes messy. For example, where at least in our part of the world, oftentimes a question comes, should women cover their head in their services? Alright? Should we put, put the cover on the head? I have often wondered in my, in my heart, you know, when it comes to covering, different churches take different stands. I will start with the stand I want you to know from me, and I'll show you from the scripture. My stand is simple. Whatever church you're going to, whatever the pastor tells you, do that. Amen? And I'll explain why. Just do that, because, because when you look at the scripture, listen to me carefully, it is not a commandment, biblical commandment. What is it? Look at that scripture, 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. We're going to run through some of these scriptures. The word used there is a, you know, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. The Bible says over here, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firm to... Let's read this. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firm to thee. You see the Greek word used there is a Greek word called uh, paradosius. Paradosius. What is paradosius? Paradosius is, it means ordinance or tradition or the instructions, all of that that is given. So the Corinthian church was given an instruction that women must cover their head. Now listen to me carefully. It was a religious instruction or an authoritative order. But, listen to me, but when we begin to take a a good tradition and make it a commandment that applies around the world, it becomes a problem. Amen. You see, I'll tell you why. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 11. Let's go through those scriptures with me. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Are you with me? Come on, let me hear you. Are you with me? Yes. That you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the, to the, to the, but some translations in some languages, it says to the commandments. Now the problem is, we don't know whether it is biblical commandments or traditional commandments. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's go on. Just as I delivered them up to you. Paul is saying, I'm giving you these commandments. I want you to... Let's go ahead. Next verse. Go ahead. Let's let's quickly. Uh, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Who is the head of man? And the man is the head of the woman. Who is the head of the woman? And God is the head of Christ. Amen? God is the head of Christ. Now, what? when you look at this context, what is this context trying to talk about? What is this co- content of this context? What is the main theme of this context? Sorry? Submission, right? Godly order and submission. Are you with me? The main theme is not covering your head. The main theme is that there is a godly order. God is the head of of man. Man is the head of woman. And this is the godly order. Let's go ahead. 
Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman has, has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. Alright? So someone say, hey, no, women have got to cover their head. Uh, you know, but here's the question. Can you cover the head while uh, praying or prophesying? Correct? But then does she have to cover her head while worshipping and preaching? Oh, come on now. Come on, Bible interpreters. What about worshipping? Should she cover her head? Listen, you're worshipping, you know. All of us, you know, we worship in the shower, don't we? We worship in the shower. Suddenly you worship here, wait a minute. You take a soap box and put on your hair. I don't know. What will you do? You see, the, the question you need to ask yourself when it comes to Bible interpretation. It says that, that, that every man who has something on his head while praying a prophecy and disgrace head. Every woman has a head uncovered praying a prophecy and disgraces her head. For it is one and the same with a woman whose head is shaved. For if a man does, a woman does not cover her head, have her also cut her hair off. However, it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off, her head shaved, have her cover her head. What is the context? Is the covering the context or godly order the context? Come on, alright, godly order is the context. Let's go on. Therefore, a woman should have, what? No, 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 uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 7. For a man should not have his head covered since his image of God. Woman uh, is the glory of man. The man does not did not originate from woman. Woman from man. Indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but the woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman should have a symbol of authority. Listen, guys, listen to me. What is covering the head? When people in traditional churches go to church, when they put a cloth on their head, when a woman covers the head, why does she do it? Traditionally, they do it when they're entering the church, right? Why do they do it? Because of respect, reverence. For whom? For God. You see this? So the tradition is the women cover their head out of reverence for God. You can feel a little more holy when the cloth comes on your head. You feel, oh, I'm really submissive to God. Covering of the head is not a sign of submission to God according to 1 Corinthians 11. It's a sign of submission to your husband. Uh oh. Are you listening to me? Because the context is man is the head of the woman and God is the head of man. And therefore, woman must have a sign or a symbol of what? Submission that she has a man above her life. That is the sign of covering the head. But yet now we got a whole cultural issue made into a biblical commandment. Hey, don't cover your head, you're going straight to hell. See why? Because in those days when people saw women that had a covering on their head, they knew that she is not a loose woman. She is under a covering. Hallelujah. It was a sign that she was submissive to the leadership God has placed over her family, her husband. Now look, let's go ahead. However, everyone say however. In the Lord. Now, there's a verse before that. Therefore, a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels, right? Now, many people say, oh, they must have a sign of authority on the head because the angels. Why? Because, you know, angels in Genesis took the daughters of men and they had children from them. Giants came out of them. Be careful. Angels are watching if they don't have a cloth on your head. Hello. (laughs) So it's like angels come to church only to see who are the ones that didn't put cloth on their head. I want to be attracted to them. Come on. But don't, won't they be attracted to you outside? What are you saying? You know what this context says? It's nothing to do with sexuality. It says because of the angels means, remember how the angels, what is the context? Submission authority, right? Remember how the angels did not submit to authority, walked in rebellion. Remember them and walk in submission. Remember the judgment that came on them. 
and walk in submission. So what is it because of the angels? Remembering that God who did not spare the angels will hold every one of us accountable to the godly order God is placing in our life. Hallelujah. He has very little to do with the angels being attracted to you. Oh, come on now. So however, the Lord, in the Lord, neither is a woman independent of man, neither is a man independent of woman. For as the woman originated from man, man has given birth to woman. All things originate from God. Judge yourself and see, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with a head cover, uncovered? So he's asking, go on. Does even nature, does not even nature teach you to, that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. Listen, for her hair is given to her. Come on. For a covering. Hair is given to her for a covering. Now here's my question. If your hair is already a covering, then why do you want a covering? <laughs> now besides that, you know, in our cultures we have different levels of covering, you know. You come to a church, you have the full covering people. And then you have that 20% left open in the front. And then you have the bun covering. Only the, just the bun in the back gets covered and you put a clip on that. You see, so how much covering is covering? See, listen, this, the point is not that. The point was in their culture to let the people know that they are not loose women, that they are under their husband's authority. Do you understand why we have to be careful when we are interpreting cultural traditions or commandments of culture, which are not bad. There are good cultural traditions and there are bad cultural traditions. All traditions are not bad. This is why I said, should we cover the head or not? And my answer is, do what your pastor asks you to do. If you go to a church where the culture is covering that, please do that. Don't rebel. But then someone asks, but aren't you giving too much authority to the pastor? No, it's a cultural concept. If they're setting that standard, just allow it. Just go. Just do that. And if you go to a place where it's not such a big issue, see, trust me, you cover all you want, but just submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Amen. I'd rather have you love one another, obey the word of God, than just have. Firstly, cultural traditions was biblical, biblical commandments. Secondly, the second thing I want to talk about is cultural traditions was a biblical context. Many of us bring cultural traditions and misinterpret biblical context. For example, when we look at this whole concept of can women be in the ministry, suddenly our patriarchy comes up and says, oh, women can't be in the ministry. But many start reading one scripture, women must be silent in church, and suddenly they got their whole doctrine, women must be silent. But they are, they are confused about what the whole scripture says about it. That there are many things, and if, if you know theologians, theologians will be there on every side of the spectrum, okay? You'll have theologians from, so theologians have three major points of view. One is that the male gender dominance theory, that means men are it. <laughs> we have arrived. Alright, that's the number one theory. Number two theory is the complementary view. Which means you have a role, the woman has a role, the man has a role, and each of us just do our roles and we complement one another. And woman, your role is not to be the leader, your role is just be the follower and serve. It's okay, that's right. That's the second role. The third one is called an egalitarian role, or view. What is egalitarian view? In Christ there is no male, no female, both are equal, and so God is calling all of them. Now, each one has their own arguments. And you listen to each one, Every one of them uses scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the problem with interpreting scripture is everyone uses certain number of scriptures and is forced to ignore certain other scriptures. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? You begin, you begin to nitpick scripture. This you like, that you don't. This agrees, that doesn't. But I, and we want to align ourselves with what is either traditional, what is known, what is heard, and we get in trouble. So when it comes to women in leadership or ministry, we have to go back and ask the questions. What was the original plan of God? Did God bless only Adam? Or he blessed Adam and Eve? And what did he say? He blessed them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion, rule. Which means rulership was a grace given to mankind. Not just to the man. Alright, so the original plan was that, then the fall was there. In the fall, everything got messed up. After the fall, there was a redemption. And the redemption was, Jesus, if you look in the Bible, came, oh, to redeem even women. If you look around the world, why there are women's rights? It's because the gospel empowered women everywhere. Gave women a place, not to be above the man, but a place, the rightful place in Christ. Hallelujah. A place of honor, a place uh, uh, that you are a child of God. You don't have to fight for authority, but you will stand there by the grace of God. God empowers you to a place of influence. And the moment you begin to fight for it, you've lost it. Both ways, men and women. You know, the moment we begin to fight. So we got to understand the power of redemption. The woman at the well, Jesus redeemed her and brought her back. You looked at, look at people all around. In the culture at that time, there was no place for women. That they were not, they had no place in religion. They had no, no, none of those influences were there. Jesus constantly went and chose and raised. Now some people said, well, he chose 12 apostles and all of them were men. Sure enough. That, they say, oh, because he chose 12 apostles, all were men, and that has to be the example. Then how about the 12 he chose were all Jews, therefore only Jews can be church leaders. Come on now, help me, come on. Do you hear what I'm saying? If the 12 he chose were men, and only men can be leadership, then the 12 men he chose were Jews, therefore only Jews can be leadership. You've got to read the scriptures for what it's worth, is somebody listening to me today. Now I am not saying, I am not saying there has to, I am saying we've got to love the word of God for what it's worth. So when Jesus went ahead, did that, he raised up people, he restored back that which was lost, a rightful godly place where God wanted to use both men and women. A redemption happened in the family, a mutual submission happened and not just that, look what happens. From the redemption, God went out and poured his Holy Spirit about men and women. Now you say, hey, women must remain silent. Wait a minute, women must remain silent. I agree. But how do we also conquer the scripture? The Bible says, and the women, men and women shall prophesy. So how do we prophesy if we have to remain silent? Come on now. Paul, did Paul say in First Corinthians 14, I want all of you to what? The prophesy. But I want all of you to also, speak in tongues. First Corinthians 14. Is it there in the Bible? How can you all speak in tongues with your mouth closed? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's got to be a context to it. Why did Paul say that? I have no time to get into those scriptures. But I want you to know, it had nothing. The whole First Corinthians 14 is about godly order in the church. It was talking about, don't come to church and cause chaos with a discussion. Example. Pastors, you love me for this. Example, the chaos that's going on before we start the service. Well, the pastors have to come front and say, okay, time to pray. Why? Because everybody is talking and have fellowship. And they all said, see, what was happening in the church, there was a lot of chaos. And he was saying, I want women to remain silent in church. Because if you want to learn something, go and ask your husbands at home. 
Alright? He's not talking about when God's Spirit anoints somebody for a task. The Holy Spirit came upon people, on men and women, and they prophesied and they spoke in tongues. The Great Commission was for every disciple. Do disciples include women? So the Great Commission is to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. So are they allowed to speak? Then it goes on, God also, another thing about the ministry of God, God empowers and gives gifts to people according to whose will? Come on, according to whose will? His will, which means if he anoints and gives gifts to women, as much as he gives to men, gifts to men, it's his will. Who are we to question? The gift that God has put on their life. Why, what am I trying to say? I'm not saying men or women. There has to be godly order and yet let's not Turn into a biblical commandment. What is a cultural commandment or a tradition for a season or for a time? We have to understand the the power of God and the plans of God. When you look at it in the uh, in the Bible in Ephesians, it, it, there's a godly order that is there, and uh, there's a God. Christ gave Himself to the church. How do we understand? Uh, you know, are we allowed to speak in tongues or not allowed to speak in tongues? Are we allowed to prophesy or not allowed to prophesy? We've got to put the scriptures together. Listen to me. Don't have favorite scriptures, and that's I'm coming to the third point, and I think. The third, the, the third and important point that I want to come to. Oh, well, when it comes to men and women, the Bible says uh, in, in Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 11, he ascended on high, 10 and 11, he ascended on high and he gave gifts to, come on, first Ephesians 4, 11, 10 and 11, he ascended on high and gave, throw it up for me please. What? He who descended is also him, he who ascended and, come on. He descended himself, also ascended for above all the heavens, and that he might fill all things. Go ahead, verse 11. And he gave some what? Apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Take the verse before that. No, no, verse uh, 9. Verse 9. Alright, he ascended does mean, okay, the verse before that. Uh, Alright, verse 8. Let's look at that. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led what? Captive a host of captives and he gave. And he gave what? Gifts to whom? Gifts to whom? But here's the way. So he didn't give gifts to women. But I thought your the spirit will fall on you and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Is that not a gift to the woman? See, what you got to understand is that Greek word there, men, is not men. That Greek word there is mankind. He ascended on high and gave gifts to mankind. Mankind is men and women. Which means Jesus will decide whom he wants to give the gifts to. Amen. And he's not going to consult with my patriarchy. Nor is he going to consult with my preference. Nor is he going to consult with my pride. Because in his sovereignty, he will choose how he wants to. But, listen, but there's a godly order. There's a godly order. What is that? Each one wants to submit one to one, one to another. So, so when it comes to giving gifts, God is the one who giving giving gifts. Both men and women were called. We see they standard united in one body in the hope of the calling, uh, the fivefold ministry given, uh, you know, to the church to men and to women. And uh, Romans twelve was uh, three to eight. Uh, in fact, in verse. Uh, Verse 6 to 8. Look look at Romans 12 verse 6 to 8. It's talking about gifts being given to the church. Alright. So since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them according accordingly. Is this for men or is this for women? Or for both? Come on. Help me. For both. Alright. So each of us is to exercise accordingly. If prophecy. 
Can women prophesy according to the Bible? In those days your sons and daughters will prophesy. So is this for men or women? There's both, right? Alright, so if it is prophecy, let's do it according to proportion of faith. Next verse, quickly. If service, which means serving, serving, of course women can be part of serving. That's the big, big, big deal we have. But if it's service, hello, men can also serve. Alright. He who teaches, let him do teaching. So, so what, what we're doing is now we're making certain things gender specific. But yet, this is to the whole church that God would call men and women to teach. Yeah? Alright, go ahead. And then, he who exhorts with encouragement, let them encourage. He who gives, oh, that's got to be the men. Come on, men, take your wallets out. Giving. No, nowadays women also have salaries. Hey, chup. If women can't teach, don't touch their money. <laughs> no, no, money we want. Advice we don't. Do you see? Do you see the problem? The problem is with our heart. Both men and women, our heart is wicked. Women that, 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 when you fight it back in rebellion, that is wickedness. Men, you suppress in, in, in pride, that is rebellion. And God wants to deal with the heart. What is the heart? Oh, submit one to another. Say, what do you want? Oh, being kind to one another, being honorable to one another. And so if it is giving, let him give. And he would liberally, <laughs> oh, word lovers, where are you? Now is my pastor moment. <laughs> Those of you who love the world, shout a loud hallelujah. Oh, you don't love the word. Come on. Those of you who love the word, shout a loud hallelujah. So those who are supposed to give. Come on. Come on. Don't let the devil hold your tongue. You see, this is how we interpret scripture. We go for things we love. Anything that's inconvenient, we keep quiet. And then it says, he who leads. Let him lead. That's men and women. He who shows mercy, let him show mercy with cheerfulness. In the 4th century is when they banned women from leadership. Historically, they gathered together in the 4th century and soon after that, the church went into the dark ages. A thousand years of dark ages where they even lost the gospel. And since then, God is restoring people back. Why am I talking about this? Cultural traditions was a biblical context. Everything, every statement has its role. Now what about the role? Women must remain silent in church. That has its place. That they don't lelia in church, which means they are not permitted to speak incoherent speech. They're not supposed to come and ca- cause cacophony or chaos in their conversations. That there would be godly order. Yet they were supposed to test every prophecy. Hold on to that which is good. And you know, you see in the Bible, how Aquila and Priscilla, how they taught the word of God. If there was a husband and wife team that ministered the word of God. Yet when that comes to personal experiences, we want to remain faithful to our traditions. So let me, let me close with this. The third thing that I want to talk about here as I finally close. The first thing I spoke about was about biblical, uh, tra- tra- cult- Cultural traditions versus biblical commandments. The second one was cultural tradition versus biblical context. To understand the context, the whole picture of women, how God has the plan of God for women from Genesis to Revelation. And not just pick one verse and make a Bible theology about it. Right? And the, and, and, uh, the Bible also says, you know, women must remain silent in church. And it goes on to say, as, just as the law says. Correct? Have you read that? Just as the, my question is, which law is, are we talking about? Where's the law? 
which, which verse are we talking about? Which reference are we talking about? They're referring to some other things of their time and season. Finally, the Bible says, women, oh, I love this one. Women, how do we get saved? How do we get saved? Loud, loud, Protestant, Pentecostal people, how do we get saved? Huh? Believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. But, 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 but. Bible lovers, First Timothy chapter 2 says, verse 15, but women will be saved through childbearing. That also, if they continue in faith, love, sanctity and moderation, your salvation is at stake here. Come on now. Child bearing. So how we say, Protestants, listen to me carefully. Everything has its place. Amen. Everything has its place. That brings me to the third and final point I'm making. Contradicting verses. Again, Bible verses versus complementing Bible verses. Contradicting Bible verses versus complementing Bible. You just saw how we are saved by faith through grace. And now women are going to be saved through childbearing? Wait a minute. See, you got to understand every one of these statements has its own context. You have to ask the question, what was the author's intention when the author wrote that? Amen. In Romans and chapter 10, the author's intention of salvation is by repenting and receiving the finished work on the cross. But in Titus, it's talking about it's talking about the family unit. It's not talking about... It's talking about husbands and wives. Women, you shall remain. I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. I do not... A women, uh, you know... this. But then the Bible also says, Men everywhere shall lift up holy hands to God in prayer without strife and ceasing. Which means, if there is strife and ceasing, you have no right to pray. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything has its context. So don't mix up Things outside context. Thirdly and finally, contradicting verses versus complementing concepts. I think it's very important for you to understand this because now there's so much out there in the YouTube. A lot of people are listening to, you know, the algorithms of YouTube are you listen to something and then it pushes that. You listen to a John MacArthur and he, you, they begin to push that. You listen to Joel Austin and they begin to push that. YouTube and Google begin to tell you what to listen to. And if you get on the wrong message and then everything begins to go wrong. So now there's a lot of a lot of confusion in people's heart. Is it Calvinism or Arminism? What is Calvinism and what is Arminism? Calvinism, after the, the, the Protestant movement came out of the Catholic Church, John Calvin was a very prominent Bible teacher back in the day. And he put a lot of fundamental theology together. And his teachings had five key points. How many key points? Five key points. It's not that he didn't teach other things, he had many other teachings. But five key points which... Some other group of people disagreed with. The other group of people was led by a person called Josephus Arminius. Who was Josephus Arminius? If I'm not wrong, it was Calvin's right-hand man's son. Who read the same scriptures and felt, wait a minute, but what about this scripture? What about that scripture? But Calvin said, no, like this, this one says, you know, these points. But Joseph, but Joseph said, what about that scripture? So there became a point where some scriptures pointed towards some theology and there were other scriptures that they really didn't know how to do. So they somehow, you know, we do that. Some scriptures, they agree with what we want and so we somehow manipulate other scriptures to fit what we like. 
So what was Calvin's main five points? His main five points were number one, total depravity. What does that mean? We human beings are so depraved, so depraved. We don't have the ability in us. We don't have the ability in us to be saved. Secondly, he says, unconditional election, which means God has chosen you and there is, he's sovereign. He will decide whom to choose. Third point, he said, is limited atonement, which means only a few people will be saved. The rest won't. Whom God decides to be saved, they'll be saved. And so if you're saved and God didn't decide for your grandma to be saved, grandma's not going to get saved. There's no point praying, no point preaching, nothing. Only whom God decided. Now that's, now, now limited atonement. Fourthly, irresistible grace. If God's grace is going to lead you to follow him, nobody can stop that grace of God. Even you can't. If you want to run away, you can't run away. God will grab you and bring you back. Irresistible grace. Fifthly, is perseverance of the saints, which means once saved, you're always saved. Forever. You cannot lose your salvation. So Joseph of Arminius listened to all of this, and he had his questions. You see, if you read the Bible, now this is what I'm going to tell you, the third thing, contradicting scriptures versus complementing concepts. When you read the Bible, you will find that there are certain scriptures that say this. As much as the Calvinists had these scriptures, you cannot lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. God is the one who saves you. So they would say, if anybody has left the fold and gone away, if God has called them, they will come back before they die. And then there were others who were part of their own group that walked away and passed away, did not receive Christ. They said, oh, those fellows were never originally saved. So that's the theory behind that. No, wait a minute. Listen, if you want to love the scriptures, don't be selective about these and not loving those. Scripture has to interpret scripture. Scripture has to complement. You cannot pick one and discard the other. Are you listening to me? Now let me read out some scriptures for you that will help you. Listen, though for those, he was saying, the elect, there is only some that are elected by God, only they will be saved. But then, here's the scripture. The scripture that says, um, in verse in Revelation 3, 5 says like this, He who overcomes will thus be clothed with white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Wait a minute. Can God erase your name from the book of life? Whose names will God not erase? The one who overcomes. Now here's the question. So are you saved by his finished work on the cross? Or are you saved by overcoming the deeds of wickedness that God, now that you're saved in the kingdom of God, walking faithful to the word of God? What are you saved by? Listen to me. You're saved by both. You're saved because God did the finished work on the cross. And now Bible is saying, he who endures till the end shall be saved. Don't pick this and that. Put them together. Hallelujah. Live as a disciple of Jesus Christ all the days of your life. Till your last day. The Revelation 2.16 says, therefore repent to the church, revelations to the church, he's saying, repent or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. War against whom? War against whom? Revelation 2, against the church. What does that mean? He's saying, I will come and judge you with the word of God. That's what the Bible says. In fact, Matthew 24, 24 says, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and they will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Wait a minute. Can the elect be misled? I thought once saved, always saved. Do you see? Listen to me carefully. Don't hold on to any one side. 
the Bible has to be altogether true. Altogether. So if you ask me, are we predestined for salvation? My answer is yes. But if you ask me, should we preach the gospel so that everyone who hears can be saved? My answer is yes. And if you ask me, even though we are predestined, can we lose our salvation? My answer is yes. At one time in life, we are tempted to have that one side, another time in life, swing to the other. All scripture is God breath. Amen. How much of scripture? Don't cherry pick scripture. Let them complement one another. Let them agree with one another. Bible says some have shipwrecked their faith because of not holding on to the faith. And I want you to know, the Bible says in Revelation 2.23 to the churches, he says again, he says, and I will give each one according to your deeds. Look at that last part. And I will give each one according to what? I thought he is going to give you according to his finished work. Yes, your entrance into the kingdom and salvation is only because of his finished work. But don't ignore this scripture. I will give each one in the churches according to their deeds. This reminds us there is a coming judgment. This reminds us we have to walk in the fear of the Lord. This reminds us we've got to love the word of God. This reminds, the Bible says, if you've been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. We have to love the whole scripture for what it's worth. Jesus says, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold, because you're neither hot nor you're cold. Revelation 3, 15. I will spit you out of my mouth, says the Lord, to the church, Laodicea. And Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful, not till the sinner's prayer. Be faithful, not till the first year of your walk, till death. And God says, and I will give you the crown of life. Every scripture is in harmony with one another. There are no meaningless details in the Bible. There are no doctrinal contradictions in the Bible. Therefore, I am not someone who is a Calvinist or an Armenian. I am someone who loves the whole word of God. Amen. The whole scripture. We fear the Lord. We submit to the whole scripture. The scriptures need to agree with one another. Therefore, cultural traditions was the biblical commandments. Obey the commandments. But don't judge others because of a different tradition. Honor everybody. Cultural traditions against biblical context don't make into Bible commandments what is intended by the author for a specific context. And contradicting scriptures versus complementing concepts. Scripture will interpret scripture. No scripture will contradict itself. Scripture will explain itself. Amen. That is why we must read the whole scripture, love the whole scripture and be faithful to the whole scripture. And if you don't understand anything, just like children grow up and keep learning, in the same way we will also keep growing and we will keep learning. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we worship you, Jesus, for your for your mercy on our lives, for being able to take us on a journey of growth. We want to grow. Hallelujah. Lord, I think it's Artie Kindle who said, if you have the spirit without the word, you bloat up. If you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. But with the spirit and the word, you grow up. Father, anoint us with the Holy Spirit and grace. That we will not judge others who maybe don't understand. But give us grace to honor the whole word of God. To love the whole word of God. And when there are places we don't understand. Give us the grace to come to you and keep learning. Keep asking that we will humble down before the word. And we will give you the glory. Because we want you to have the highest place. People may worship different from us. People may have different confessions. People may may have different styles of maybe reading the word or worshipping all of that. But Lord, we know we are all your children, the family of God. And so we choose to love the body and yet to honor the word above everything else. We give you the glory and honor. And I bless this church, Father. I bless them, Father. We'll grow in the word of God and the ways of God. Add to the numbers, Lord. Let people come and get saved, Lord. Let revival fill the church, Lord. Let people be full of the Holy Spirit and power, Lord. We give you all the glory. Because we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wicc.in.